Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Well, over the past three months or so, we have been looking at some of the questions that Jesus asked people. And we've seen that he asked some really poignant questions. And as he did so, he revealed people's motivations. He made them question themselves. He brought them new understanding about themselves and about God. And this week, as we look at the next question, we see something else. What we see today is a drama unfolding. And then a desperate plea straight from the heart of Jesus for an answer that he would never in fact receive. I I was once told that there's a difference between drama and great drama. Or I suppose you could even say between acting and great acting. In drama, our responses to the situations we see unfold in front of us are cued by the things we observe. So you see someone crying and you realise that they are feeling grief. But what makes a great drama different is this. Instead of observing someone crying, you're caught up in their viewpoint of what's going on around them. And you start to see the world through that character's eyes. And so you start to actually feel that emotion yourself. And the same can be true about literature. The best communication happens not when you're told what you should think, but when you find yourself carried away and persuaded by something that's just far bigger than yourself. And in that light today, as we come towards Easter, we're going to look at Mark's account of the crucifixion. Mark's Gospel was written with a very clear perspective. It was written with the perspective of the Apostle Peter. He was one of the closest of the disciples to Jesus. And scholars are all in agreement that the Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, but under the instruction of Peter. And that's why it's filled with so many of Peter's memories and Peter's insights. And as a result... This gospel gives a really stark description of the execution of Jesus. It was the first composed of the four gospels. It's fast moving. It's unembellished. It doesn't have the lengthy interpretive commentary that we see in some of the others. Because what we see through Peter's eyes is that Jesus is utterly abandoned. Throughout the ordeal that he faces, we see Jesus 
bearing every weight alone. His friends, the leaders of the nation, the priests of the temple, the Roman courts, all of them have forsaken him. And then midway through that crucifixion, the sky goes dark. I went to a school in Southampton and uh, a famous hymn writer was in fact an old boy of the school, although he was a few years ahead of me. This is what Isaac Watts wrote in his hymn at the cross. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. Even the sun refused to warm Jesus as he was on that cross dying. And then ultimately he was rejected by his own father. And in isolation and in anguish he cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark's story is relentless and hard. We find it in Mark 14. We read that Peter had boasted just before about how he was going to protect Jesus. He was promising to stay by his side whatever dangers came along. And then he couldn't even stay awake to pray. When Jesus was arrested, this brave Peter ran off like a scared rabbit. And then when Jesus was being beaten by the guards, he even denied knowing him. This man Peter was devastated by his own failure. Humiliated in front of those who'd heard him bragging, he probably stood on the edge of things and just watched as the remaining events of that night unfolded. Many details of the arrest of Jesus, of his trial and his crucifixion that we see in the other Gospels are missing from Mark's account. And I think that's because Peter stood back. He stood at a distance from these unfolding events, crushed, hating himself, fearing what would happen next, and seeing and hearing only bits and pieces. The combined Gospels record seven statements made by Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. Peter only heard one of them. That agonising cry in the dark, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father himself had forsaken his only begotten Son. Heartbroken and helpless, Peter left. Probably feeling more more certain of his worthlessness than perhaps he ever had done in the past. And later he would hear the other stories. He'd hear that Jesus spoke a word of kindness to his mother at the foot of the cross. That he'd pass her into John's care. He'd hear that Jesus prayed forgiveness for one of those who executed him. 
He'd hear that during his trial he reached out to Pilate. But when the time came for Mark to write his gospel, Peter gave his account of the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus without these observations, because it's how he experienced it. So let's look at the events. Let's start off with the events leading up to the crucifixion. We're going to start reading at Mark 14, verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. You know, if we start to make a list of the people who contributed to Jesus' death, the first name on that list has to be the traitor. Sometimes you read fictional or dramatised accounts of the death of Jesus. And they try and make Judas out to be some earnest person who was just caught up in events and didn't mean to do what he did. That's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible has no sympathy for Judas. He's shown as an evil-hearted man. He sold out Jesus and he did it for barely the price of buying a slave. And to make it worse, he betrayed him with a kiss of friendship. The world is full of betrayers who with intent crush and hurt people. And they do it to people they love and they sell them out. It's one of the toughest aspects of church leadership. It's counselling those who've experienced a malicious betrayal at at the hands of a friend or at the hands of a loved one. Because the wounds of a friend go so much deeper. Who crucified Jesus? Top of the list is this betrayer. And then as we read on. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. The crowd came with clubs and swords. It bears thinking about. Why on earth did they come to take him with clubs and swords in the middle of the night? No one else would see what they were doing. I think the answer is simple. I think they were cowards. They couldn't face this righteous man in the daylight, where they would have to admit to themselves what they were doing. And we live in a world that's full of cowards, who never take a risk, 
who snivel and who whine their deeds under the cover of darkness. Who contributed to the death of Jesus? Firstly a traitor, and now a community of cowards who were unwilling to let their deeds be seen in the light of day. It carries on. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. And Peter followed them at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him. But their testimony didn't agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony didn't agree. You know, the trial of Jesus before the priests of Israel was an absolute farce. There was no hint of justice in it. They called the trial for one purpose and one purpose only, to find him guilty and to execute him. The judges were corrupt and the witnesses perjured themselves. Corrupt courts, false witnesses and rigged justice. They all have their capacity to destroy people. And around the world we see that still today. Who killed Jesus? A people of cowardice and corruption. And then in verse 64, And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him, and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. If you now skip forward to chapter 15, verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace. That is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloth. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloth and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. The temple guards, the high priests, the legionnaires of the Roman command gathered around the bound, weak, defenceless Jesus. They spat on him, they mocked him, and then they crushed a crown of thorns onto his head. We have a word for people who love crushing the weak. They're called bullies. The world's full of them. The world's full of bullies who abuse children and who take advantage of the poor who mislead the elderly, 
and don't help the disabled. We see the gangs that harass and we see dictators who use power and weapons to intimidate. They're all bullies. Those who executed Jesus included traitors, cowards, corrupt officials and bullies. And then in Mark 15, verse 9 to 11, we can see that even Pilate held no respect for this priestly leadership who brought Jesus to him. It says, and he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. Pilate knew what was going on. He knew there was nothing righteous in their words. They claimed to be acting on behalf of the people when they requested this execution of this rebel who blasphemed God. But the truth is, they were just envious of Jesus. They envied his prayers, his love for God, and the love that the people had for him. They were envious of a righteous man. And they hated him for everything he was and for everything that they were not. So amidst the traitors, the cowards, the corrupt officials and the bullies were the envious. The ones who would rather have him dead than face themselves. Now Pilate, he held the power and the authority of Rome. He was appointed as Rome's representative. And he could have quite easily stopped this pretense. But verse 15 says that he acted strictly for the sake of expedience. It says, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. How much injustice has been done, how much cruelty has been enacted in this world, just for the sake of expediency. It's sometimes too much trouble to do the right thing. And so people who know better can't be bothered to act righteously. It was easier to give them Barabbas. And again, many of the fictionised stories betray Barabbas as an earnest revolutionary, a good guy at heart. But in reality, he was a thug. He was a violent man who deserved his sentence. And yet this crowd called for Barabbas rather than Jesus. Jesus was betrayed, he was bullied, and he was sacrificed for the sake of expediency. And the crowd that jeered was made up of amoral thrill-seekers who wanted to see humiliation and violence. Give us Barabbas! Crucify the rabbi! He speaks so highly of God, maybe there'll be a show with some angels. Maybe we'll see Elijah. Let's crucify him and see what happens. 
as Jesus hung from the cross, priests, criminals, and passers-by all mocked him. Who crucified Jesus? What sort of people could do that? It was his friends. It was the priests. It was Israel. It was Rome. It was the elite. It was the common people. The envious, the apathetic, the bullies, the cowards. Those who claimed to have some higher moral purpose. And those who were amoral to the core. It was a bloodthirsty crowd. It was some gambling soldiers. It was a condemned criminal, a contemptuous governor, and some idle scoffers. It must have seemed like the whole world crucified Jesus. No one spoke up for him. There's not a kind word anywhere in this story that Mark tells. There's no break in the relentless description of his humiliation and his death. And then as the nails were pounded into Jesus, the emotion starts to assault Peter. Why didn't you say something, Peter? Why didn't you just call out to him from a distance that you love him? Why didn't you act? But he did nothing. And then as darkness overtook the city, and as for three hours, Jesus suffered on the cross in agony, finally he called out to God, Why have you forsaken me? You'll find the passage there in Mark 15, verse 20. It says, And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each of them should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. <laughs> Can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now.
from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Mark doesn't recall the final words of Jesus. It's possible that Peter didn't hear them. Because in other Gospels we read that with a final cry he said, It is finished and he died the sacrifice had an end Peter heard a loud cry but he didn't hear the words Luke tells us that Jesus also said Father into your hands I commend my spirit but Peter didn't know about any of that until later As far as he knew, the scene ended with this centurion speaking a word of faith, with women standing silently by, ready to bury Jesus, and with a temple curtain torn in two from top to bottom. You know, on that Friday, there was no gospel. There was no good news for Peter. There was only tragedy. But then came that glorious resurrection. And in Mark 16 verse 7, there's an important observation. Because the women came and found the tomb empty. And they were told, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Tell everyone. Tell the disciples. But be sure that you tell Peter. Because his failure is being reversed. His Lord is going to be alive again. As we draw this week towards Easter... Let's take the time 
to consider its meaning. You know, it's about far more than a man who died on a cross between two convicts. Jesus was far more than a political messiah. He died for you and he died for me. He died to bring us freedom, having brought the price of everything we have done wrong. If you want to ask the question, who crucified Christ? You know, you crucified him, as did I. Shall we pray? Father, as we reflect on the price your son paid, we can only stand in awe at everything he went through. As you looked on, we know you even had to turn your face away. Such was the pain and the suffering. But then, a few days later, we see resurrection. And we know there is a hope and a future and a destiny for us because of it. We know that that hope is so easily fulfilled because we can now come into your presence. Because our sins are washed clean, we stand righteous in your sight. And access has been restored. And we praise you for that. Father, we just pray for a moment for those who don't know you. We ask that at this time when there is an openness to your gospel, that new hearts will be added to your family that your kingdom might be extended and your will done. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.